You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning Five on Sunday, formerly known as Bucknuts Almost Live. We are thrilled to be joined today by the Dean, Bill Curlick, and he'll be followed by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. Please take one second to go give us a five-star review on iTunes. It's very effective for the site. What's very effective for the Buckeyes, Justin Fields and the offense, Tommy Togiai and the defense, Ohio State defeats Penn State 38-25 in a neutered Happy Valley. Bill, your thoughts on Ohio State going to 2-0 and and winning what is probably the most difficult game on their schedule? Well, it's certainly a... a a big win, no question about it. You know, winning in Happy Valley is never easy. Uh, even when they, uh, they don't have fans, it doesn't seem like it's easy. But Ohio State, you know, did as much as they could, I think, overall to, to, to make it easy. You know, let's not, let's not about act like uh, it didn't help that there was, you know, no whiteout and no fans there. Obviously, uh, uh, that was in Ohio State's favor. Um, just like when... Uh, uh, when Michigan comes to Ohio State, it's going to be in Michigan's favor that there won't be 105,000 people here. Not that I think that's going to make a difference because Ohio State is a lot better than them. But still, you know, that, that certainly played in Ohio State's favor. But, you know, that said, I was impressed by several things. Um, you know, I really was impressed with uh, generally Ohio State's defensive line uh, play from last week to this week, I thought was so much better. Uh, I thought that they controlled the game up front pretty much on both sides of the ball, um, especially the offensive line initially in the game. Um, so, so I really liked how high State played on both sides of the line. You control the game up front, you're probably going to, to win pretty handily, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, obviously you, you can't help but continue to be impressed with Justin Fields as well. But uh, just, a, just a really big win. And, uh, you know, best thing about, uh, about it is they're 2-0. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of ESPN's win probability chart, but it started at 80%. Once Garrett Wilson took that reverse for 65 yards, it went to 85%. For the rest of the game, it didn't dip below 84.9%. So even though the final score doesn't look like a blowout, there was never a time in this game where Penn State was threatening to win. That said, let's nitpick a little bit. If you have concerns after two games and two convincing wins, what would they be? Well, the secondary a little bit. You know, they uh, certainly, um, you know, they're young. And Penn State in the second half was was able to throw the ball some. So that uh, was a little bit. And, um, you know, I think that would probably be the number one thing. And, um, you know, you'd like to see a little bit more, perhaps, uh, breakaway possibilities in the running game, you know, I thought that they were solid with the play up front and all, but, um, um, 
other than Garrett Wilson's long run, you didn't have any uh, dynamically long running plays. So, so that would be another one, I, I think. I thought Teague ran the ball better, but he is really a north-south guy. He has very little wiggle. Made him a great kind of second-half hammer after J.K. kind of loosened everybody up. But Trey Sermon, I just don't see it. Normally, Bill, this would have been a huge recruiting weekend, especially for Penn State. If you look at the last time Ohio State was there for the whiteout, there are pictures of Julian Fleming in the front row, the Pennsylvania native, although that did not work out great for the Knits. Bring us up to speed on where Ohio State is in recruiting. It was a wild week, one of great hope as crystal balls rolled towards Columbus for some huge names, but try and put everything into perspective and maybe take a look at the week ahead and what we can expect. Well, you know, that that, that really was a wild week. I've, you know, I've been on a couple different radio shows this week and I've said the same thing um, each time that... Yeah, I have been doing this a long time, and I don't know that I've ever... The crystal ball hasn't been around for 34 years, but making predictions certainly has, and I don't know that in one week I've ever uh, predicted necessarily, certainly not in one day predicted for crystal ball as it is now, three of the top 10 players in the country to Ohio State, and that's what happened on uh, uh, earlier you know, this past week with Damani Jackson, Quinn Ewers, and Caleb Burton. You know, you've got Ewers at number one, Damani Jackson at three, and Caleb Burton at 10. And uh, to predict those three on one day to Ohio State, it really really was kind of wild. Um, kind of felt like uh, in the old uh, days, a, a week, a recruiting weekend in January when uh, all kinds of players were making official visits back in the old days. Uh, for a huge recruiting weekend. But, uh, you know, th- those three guys, you know, obviously I, if I didn't feel good about them being Buckeyes, eventually I wouldn't have picked them to Ohio State. And landing those three just would be tremendous for the program. Bill, Quinn Ewers, I mean, he's been tagged with like the next Trevor Lawrence moniker, I think partly because he has long blonde hair. What do you think was the reason for him to decommit from Texas? And why do you think Ohio State is leading? Well, I think, you know, it's taking a look at what's going on at Texas. You know, the, uh, there's certainly uncertainty there. <laughs> uh, you know, Tom Herman, uh, you know, he, he is... Uh, struggling with the program some and you and you look at um you know ohio state that you have an offer from and who has continued to recruit him um who gave him his first big offer his only offer when ryan day offered him when he was going in ninth grade was north texas um and he's always liked ohio state to be honest i was pretty surprised when he decided to commit to Texas so early and I get it you know he's a Texas kid and, and everything and his family likes Texas and all that but I, I still was a was surprised a bit when that happened when he made that decision and and you know you got to give Corey Dennis a high state quarterback coach tremendous a tremendous amount of credit he has continued to recruit Quinn Ewers and he's done a great job and um, you know I, I think as I said that I think uh, he is going to eventually commit to Ohio State. I would be, uh, you know, very surprised if it didn't happen. I wouldn't have crystal balled him to the Buckeyes. And, you know, I think if you look at Ohio State's offense, you look at what Ryan Day um, has done with that offense and all, and 
and, and Kevin Wilson and the rest of the offensive coaches, and you look at what Dwayne Haskins did and now what Dustin Fields is doing, you're a great quarterback. How could you not consider Ohio State very highly? So, uh, you know, I, I think it's very uh, um, logical that, uh, that, it, that he would be highly considering the Buckeyes. Bill, the playoffs are still going on in many states for football. I know they are in Ohio. C.J. Hicks was very impressive as Alter beat Baden, a team that had beat them the last two times they'd met. Who else among future Buckeyes is still playing, and who has jumped out at you during the playoff season? Well, let's start real quick with C.J. Hicks. I've seen him three times in person in the last few months. I saw him um, uh, the middle of the summer when he was up here in the Columbus area in Obetz um, at a camp, and he was outstanding then. I mean, just outstanding. Um, I, I saw him in a couple games live, you know, person covering his games this season, and he is absolutely the real deal. I mean, that kid is going to be a great, great player for the Buckeyes if he stays healthy. And, you know, you put all the uh, physical talent that he has in perspective, but he also has great character and just a, an outstanding young man. So uh, the sky really is the limit for him. As far as other future Buckeyes that are still playing, you've got uh, uh, Dayton Ballard up at Massillon, Washington. His team beat Westerville South uh, on Friday night in the playoffs, so he's still going. Um, and, and I'll just concentrate for, for now on the 2021 kids because there are uh, – Hicks being one of them, a number of 2022 kids, but you've got him still going in the playoffs. And um, unfortunately, Zen Mihalski's team lost um, uh, in the playoffs, so they they are done. Uh, tight end Sam Hart's team is still playing during the regular season. Uh, Richfield Revere, Ben Crispin's team lost in the playoffs, the game I was at last weekend, uh, but they are still playing. They, uh, they um, played Kent Roosevelt this past weekend on Friday night, and they've got one more game. Uh, Mike Hall's team, unfortunately, went down to defeat. They were undefeated. They lost to Canfield on uh, on Friday night, so they're out of the playoffs. Uh, um, I think, um, well, you've got uh, Jalen Johnson. He's still going. He had a really nice game, by the way, on Friday night. He had five pass breakups and a couple of really big hits. Uh, uh, you know, flying around the secondary. Uh, you've got um, Andre Turrentine still going. Uh, you've got Jordan Haycock. His team is still playing. Jacqueline Johnson's team is still playing. So um, you've got a, a, really a number of commitments. I think uh, Denzel Burke and Donovan Jackson are still playing, uh, as is Jansen Dunn. So I think I've got a, most, if not all, of the guys that have committed to Ohio State are still playing at this point. All right, Bill, are any of the aforementioned recruits, the ones we discussed earlier in the show, on commitment watch? And I'll let you go on that. Well, um, you know, obviously uh, those three guys I've been asked that I crystal ball to Ohio State, those three guys, I, I've been asked about those guys, uh, you know, when do you expect things to happen? And I, uh, when, when I crystal balled all three of those guys, I said I don't really expect anything to happen with those guys for at least a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And I'm sticking with that. It's recruiting. So people, you know, things can change. They can change their mind. Um, but I think we still got maybe a week to go before anyone, uh, you know, jumps in. 
maybe longer, but I think at least a week to go. And there's some other guys, too, that uh, to keep in mind. I did an article this past week on guys that I could next um, next crystal ball to Ohio State and uh, several guys in there that, uh, you know, that I'm keeping an eye on as far as what they might do soon. Those guys would be uh, Sean Murphy would be in there, the linebacker from Virginia, uh, Will Johnson, cornerback from Michigan. Now, in his case, I think he is going to wait it out longer. But, again, you never know. And another one would be Xavier Inwanka, safety from Iowa. So those are all guys to keep in mind, I think, in the, in the coming days and weeks. Bill, I lied. One more question. Michigan recruiting, it can't be looking good after what's gone on there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, uh, I would agree. I, you know, I think uh, there's just, you know, now there's even more uncertainty than ever on what's going to happen with, with that program and all. So, um, you know, they, they have got a pretty good class going. I'll say that, you know, they uh, right now have the number nine class in the country in the 247 sports composite so they have done pretty well but there's a little caveat to that you know you look at ohio state's class and you look at the average player ranking and it's 94.21 whereas you look at michigan's class and it's 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 90 basically and that's you know that may not sound like a lot but it is you know it's a decent amount of difference in the two classes so uh, you know, what's going to happen moving forward, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, uh, the speculation of what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh, that never helps. We wanted to end on some good news there, and they don't call him the dean for nothing. Bill, appreciate you stopping by on a Sunday. My pleasure. Have a great day. We'll be back in one minute with the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. As promised, we are joined by Matt Baxendale, the people's champ. Bax, the Bucknuts Roundtable group predicted 40 to 19. It was 38 25, not too far off. Ohio State went to Happy Valley. And as I said to Bill, it was a neutered Happy Valley. As you sit here Sunday morning, the bucket is in. It is up for those who want to check it out. Your thoughts on the W? Well, first of all, I don't think the score accurately reflected the way Ohio State showed themselves to be the far better team than Penn State. 
They outgained him by 200-something yards. And uh, you mentioned it was weird. The bucket, I specifically have a spot called Full Moon over Happy Valley because this Halloween night full moon shenanigans that went on in this game was it was like a little drip, drip, drip of weirdness that kept Penn State slowly in the game. Whether it was completely innocuous plays that were 15-yard penalties against Ohio State to extend drives by Penn State, whether it was that insane ending to the first half that I've never seen before, where Justin Fields took a knee, the clock still said one second because they didn't start the clock on time, uh, all kinds of little things, down to the fact that when Jahan Dotson broke out and totally made our, our secondary look like they're in need of much improvement, uh, his highlight reel touchdown literally starts with him pushing Sean Wade out of bounds. These are the sort of weirdness that happened last night to get the score to that point. Uh, but And by the way, how strange is it that James Franklin goes for it on fourth and two on the first drive on his half of the field? If there's ever a panic play and a coach who's not confident that he can win the football game, that's it. So, yeah, it was a weird night. But at the end of the day, Ohio State went to Penn State. They won pretty comfortably over a Penn State team that I think is going to still end up winning five or six games this year on that eight-game schedule. And the reality is that sometimes you just don't end up getting the scoreboard the way it accurately reflects the, the way the play went on the field. Ohio State won by 13 points, but I thought they looked more like they were four touchdowns better than Penn State. And I mentioned this to Bill. I'm not a huge fan of ESPN's win probability meter, but it never went below 85%. There was never any of that uh, feeling in your stomach that Penn State was going to make a move, partially because their offense, though it made some plays late, Sean Clifford is not going to beat Ohio State. Here's one thing I wanted to chat about. We came into this season thinking defensive tackle might be a concern. I would say after two games is an obvious strength. Tommy Togiai with the line of all lines for a defensive tackle tackle five tackles three sacks Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai have been dominant up front yeah I would say that's been the strength of the defense coming into the year I think we were thinking well you know we've got Tyreek and Zach Harrison on the outside let's see them you know get put their ears back and go after the quarterbacks let's see Jonathan Cooper as his, his fifth year here go out and really dominate and it's not like those guys have played poorly I mean Zach Harrison tackled two guys at the same time last night that's peewee football stuff but Togi I was an absolute beast last night. There was one play where uh, Sean Clifford got out of the pocket because it was collapsing like usual. And Togi, I nearly tracked him down. And I just like I, watching him run was like, that must be what it feels like to like run from a predator on the safari because the look on Clifford's face, was just sheer. Oh my God, I'm going to die. Togi, I was utterly dominant and Haskell Garrett playing at this level is even without the whole he got shot in the face story he's still playing so well i would tell you through two games the defensive tackles have been the best part of ohio state's defense and i don't even think it's particularly close because you can nitpick the ends you can nitpick the linebackers there's a whole host of questions about the secondary the defensive tackles have been excellent and they've made big plays when we needed them both games so far you mentioned Zach Harrison. I thought he had a very good game. And Jonathan Cooper, he's another guy that I think is going to benefit from the extra year in the way that maybe our receivers have in the past, Drew McLaurin and Johnny Dixon types. And the, the concern about Cooper coming in was he wasn't you know, big enough. 
He had two man plays last night, one on an option play where he annihilated Clifford and another on a sack where he pushed the blocker back into Clifford that were the plays of a 22-year-old man on the field. So great to see Cooper coming through late. How much do you make of the Dotson versus Wade stuff down the stretch, though? Is that a concern? It looked to me like they were being told to give guys a serious cushion. Yes and no. Um, so the first drive out of the – so first of all, we have to temper all of this with the fact that this is for Sean Clifford throwing the football, right? He's not a great passing quarterback. He went two for seven for 29 yards in the first half, and then he throws for 250 yards in the second. Yes, the cushion was a bit of a concern, but the first drive they went right out. They put Dotson on seven banks and picked on him. OSU brought Wade over to try to counter that, and it didn't work. That's the scary part. Now, yes, I've already said this once, that Dotson one-handed absurd touchdown literally starts with him pushing Sean Wade's out of bounds with two hands. So, you know, that was a blatantly missed call, as nice of a catch as it was by the uh, by, by Penn State's star receiver. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a secondary now that really let a mediocre quarterback passing the football shred them in the second half and yes we can talk about there being a little bit of off coverage they were too far back in my opinion so those seven and eight you know yard in routes were wide open but I think Ohio State maybe maybe they should have been smarter in the coverage side but at the end of the day uh there's a lot of concern that I have right now about the secondary you know you, you anytime you give up 250 pass yards in a half and by the way Penn State outscored Ohio State in the second half of that game because Ohio State couldn't defend the pass they gave it three passing touchdowns to Dotson in the second half of the game. I am a little bit concerned about the secondary. I don't think we can ascribe it to off coverage as much. Um, I, I think outside of what uh, Marcus Hooker did at the end of the game with the throwback interception to his big brother from four years ago, the truth is that secondary is certainly in need of more work than I would have liked. As much as I'd like, I've seen flashes, I mean, Josh Proctor coming up to defend the run is a scary sight. Yes, it is. We have two corners right now who are supposed to be elite, elite, elite. And the second half of last night, they were shredded, shredded, shredded. The play that set up the touchdown pass, the left-handed, one-handed catch from Dotson, that was just a tremendous play. That was defended fine. Um, you go up against great players sometimes, and that guy made a great play. He did spend the first three years of his high school career at the Petty School in Heightstown, New Jersey, my alma mater. However, uh, that one didn't bother me as much. The second one, there was a push off there. There was some hand fighting. I have a feeling that if that was maybe earlier in the game, that possibly would have been called. Let's talk about the offense. Obviously, Justin Fields is tremendous. One thing that's become clear to me, though, is when they get in trouble and they need yards, they go to Garrett Wilson almost exclusively. What is your opinion of him developing into kind of the security blanket for the offense? Yeah, it's like he's a slightly faster version of K.J. Hill. You know, whenever uh, whenever they were in doubt, they looked for K.J. with old mantra. I, I, I think that right now, this is the most traditional receiver rotation we've had at Ohio State since Urban Meyer took over. And that I mean, Olave and Wilson are clearly the top two guys, and everybody else is going to pick up the scraps after them. There's none of the vaunted six-receiver rotation. You know, none of that. You have guys who come on the field, so you'll see JSN, you'll see Jamison Williams. Um, but at the end of the day, those are the two guys that the ball's going to more often than not. Now, it's kind of a refreshing change of pace, too, at OSU, because I remember Michael Thomas, who is maybe the best receiver in the NFL, not getting enough uh, passes thrown in his direction uh, whenever he was at OSU. So I, I'm, I think if you have the horses, you might as well ride them. 
but at the end of the day, there was two really good things I saw last night. One was that both Olave and Garrett Wilson were open very frequently against a very good Penn State defense, even without Micah Parsons. And two, we saw Jeremy Ruckert finally becoming a viable pass option on key plays. Let's face it, both of his touchdowns were at critical junctures in the game, uh, down in the red zone, and Fields didn't hesitate to go right to him. I think that Garrett Wilson, yes, he's a security blanket of sorts because he's frequently open in short yardage, and he's really good at making sure he's just far enough. He caught one ball last night where he literally was already on his knees waiting for it because he knew it was going to be low. He knew he'd already got the yardage to gain. He's like, all right, this is the best way to make sure I ensure this catch. He's developing into a real star-level player, but I think Ohio State has two of them at the receiver position this year. And both of them, frankly, should be considered security blankets because they're almost always open. They combined for 18 receptions in this game. I'd be surprised if that happens again. I think you're going to see the rest of the receiving core get very involved as we go forward here and the competition dwindles. All right, let's talk a little bit outside Columbus or outside Happy Valley. I want to just say this for the record. I've been wrong about certain things in my career. I cannot believe how bad Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan. I was convinced he was going to turn them around because he was a quarterback whisperer. It's the absolute opposite. Yesterday was an absolute embarrassment for that program. I'm not sure how you come back from that. Sparty lost to Rutgers. I'm not saying the transitive theory exists in football, but come on, man. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's the worst loss since Appalachian State for that program. That is mind-boggling because Michigan State is legitimately the worst program in the Big Ten this year. They hired a coach mid-spring, barely before the pandemic. It was when their new coach came in. They didn't have time to really install an offense. They turned the ball over seven times last week and were blown out by Rutgers. It's not like they lost by one. They were lucky to get that game within 11 points last week against Rutgers. And then they go to, to, to Ann Arbor in the big house, and they end up dominating the game. Like, they only won by three points, but Michigan State literally led the whole game. Yep. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was sort of foreshadowed the night before by uh, Maryland dropping 45 on Minnesota's incredibly porous defense. And I, remember, I was on Twitter that night, and I'm bucking on the front row saying, man, this kind of undermines Michigan's quote-unquote breakout game that we saw last week. Well, man, we didn't know how quickly that was going to be validated. And it's a shortened season, and the traditional arc of any Michigan season is for the Wolverines to start off like gangbangers at the start of the year. And everybody's like, wow, look how great they are. This is amazing, right? And then the next thing you know, they're going to have reality or Ohio State intercede, and it'll end up ruining their season. It, it just it got here a little earlier this year. And big picture, you're right. Harbaugh's a guy who we all thought was going to come in and make things interesting. And I remember saying this at the time, and I'm still saying it today. If Jim Harbaugh, Super Bowl coach, former quarterback at Michigan, like the, the, the dream guy for their program's fans for like 10 years, if he can't win at Michigan, if he can't win the East, if he can't beat the Ohio State, if he can't win the Big Ten, who the heck is going to? This is the point where their program is going to have to start making serious considerations when Harbaugh is gone. And I think we're getting close to when, not if, with him only having one more year on his contract. It won't be expensive for them to decide to change directions this offseason. And, you know, if, if, if Wisconsin manages to get Mertz back by the time that, uh, that Michigan plays them, the reality is Michigan may be looking at a 4-4 four and four or 3-5 and five season. I saw somebody on Twitter say, man, when was the last time Michigan-Indiana, which is next week, was a, was a pick-em game? My thought was, by pick-em game, you mean I'm picking Indiana, right? 
because Michigan's not going to beat the Hoosiers right now. That's how bad it's gotten. The game is in Bloomington, isn't it? Yes, I believe it is. Indiana's going to be favored. Indiana's going to win that game, Dan. You know what I mean? Like, there's no question in my mind Indiana's going to win that game. Like, Indiana was a good team coming into this year anyway. It's like, we've talked before about this, where, like, you know, if this was a normal year, I'd say, yeah, Indiana's going to win nine games. But the, the truth of the matter is, Michigan's not good this year. Like, I really think Indiana's going to end up getting second place in the Big Ten East with the win under Penn State, against Penn State under their belt. And I think Penn State's a way better team than Michigan is this year, too. It's your classic Michigan. We're all hype. They put their chest out, start, you know, bang on their chest like they're they're the king of the hill and then they run into anybody with a pulse and things go against me i mean hicks party barely even has a pulse they may not have a pulse they may finish two and six and they still beat michigan in the big house it's unreal to me at this point it seems incredibly uh like the universe is lining up in favor of the buckeyes maybe this is karma for the way last year's fiesta bowl went where we all know who should have won that game who was the better team even herb street referenced it last night during the broadcast of the Penn State Ohio State game, where he he was essentially saying, oh, "There's a lot of people around Ohio State who will tell you that there were some calls in that game that did not go their way." Understatement of the year, but the fact that he's even bringing that up on national TV a season later tells you how controversially bad some of those calls were against Ohio State. I've been saying this for since the moment that game ended. This season is going to come down to Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. It's going to come down to Clemson and Ohio State. It's going to come down to those two programs. Now, the the other part about this is setting up really interestingly is, is that there's three teams that I think are in the legitimate discussion for a championship this year, and really only three, and that's uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. So much like last year, it would be really nice to get to play the number one versus four seed game and not have to play the, the third wheel, if you will, because if Ohio State had played Oklahoma last year like they should have, and LSU had been the ones to play Clemson, OSU may have been in a much better championship game position after decking Oklahoma, just like LSU was. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this week with Notre Dame and Clemson with Trevor Lawrence out. I think if you're an OSU fan, you want Notre Dame to win. And then for Lawrence to come back in the ACC championship and knock off Notre Dame, that way Ohio State's going to be the number one seed. Let's face it. I think this is one of the years where they'll get enough benefit of doubt from the national people and the people on the college football playoff committee that an undefeated Ohio State team goes to the number one ahead of Alabama, even if Bama stays undefeated, because Ohio State is Justin Fields, and everybody around the country knows that this guy is as good as it gets. He may be the best quarterback of the country this year, and after yesterday, he's at the top of the Heisman discussion. So, yeah, you have to feel pretty good about where the universe is leading this season from an Ohio State perspective, that's for sure. Here's what's going to be interesting. Clemson goes to Notre Dame Saturday night, and they're going to play without Trevor Lawrence. Notre Dame is undefeated and ranked fourth. What if Notre Dame wins that game close and then Trevor Lawrence comes back? I think you're going to have some controversy down the stretch. There's no controversy about the Buckeyes. They have kicked some serious tail the first two weeks, and we've been here for it. We've got to thank the people, Champ, for stopping by. Backs, have a great Sunday. Have fun on the rink. Sometimes it takes a killer to catch a killer. These killings are about vengeance. The new season of the hit Paramount Plus original series Criminal Minds Evolution is now streaming. Buried secrets come to light in the new season as the criminal profilers join forces with an unlikely ally. I have a plan. We will not rely on help from a serial killer. Oh, you most certainly will. Stream the new season of Criminal Minds Evolution exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.